natural helpers need to be trained. So that could be a barber, that could be a hairstylist, that could be a coach, that could be teachers, a youth leader, or a respected elder in the community who's going to step up and say, hey, I went to this training. And you know, some of the things you're, you're saying and doing make me wonder, are you thinking about suicide? So it's natural helpers that need to be trained, not just therapists and mental health practitioners or even the pastor, but people in the church that are connected to other people. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. Hey there, I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. I am so excited because today we have a really special guest. Two years ago, when I first started the Care Ministry Podcast, my very first guest ever was Glenn Broomstrom, who spoke about suicide awareness in the church. And that episode, in that episode, he shared his story and offered some strategies for overcoming the discomfort of talking about suicide and creating safe spaces for people to share their struggles uh, regarding suicide. And if you are able to, let me tell you, this is an episode that you're going to want to go back and listen to. It is definitely worth it. But I'm telling you, you're going to have to go way back into the archives, way back to the beginning. Episode three is where it connected with Glenn for the first time. That seems so long ago, but I am thankful that I didn't mess it up too much. <laughs> and Glenn was willing to come back to be a guest again here in our episode that is going to be airing in September of 2023. So thank you, Glenn, so much for returning. Come Coming back and talking about suicide awareness because, in fact, this is Suicide Awareness Month, September Suicide Awareness Month, and suicide prevention is on September 10th. So, thank you so much for joining the Care Ministry Podcast once again. Laura, it's a pleasure to be with you again. Uh, you're one of my favorite people, and uh, you have done just a marvelous work for the church and people of faith. So, thanks. Oh my goodness. So you guys are going to love this podcast uh, because the resources and the the gold nuggets that come out of the conversations are so good. So you're definitely going to want to save this one for later if you're multitasking or settle in and grab a pen because it's going to be good. Glenn, I hear from a lot of people that um, regardless of their role, I always kind of classify everything as a caregiving role, but whether they're a pastoral care or a small group leader, or maybe they're on the visitation team or what have you, uh, that they come to this kind of accidentally, that it was never their intention to start ministry in this way, this way, but because of a firsthand experience, or maybe they cared for a loved one um, and developed this passion for supporting others, that they kind of fell into this caregiving ministry role. I would love to hear from you. I'm curious, how did you start this work around caring for others? Well, in seminary, like many, many seminarians, you uh, work in groups, and I progressed from junior high to high school to young adults and college and career types. And all along the way, you know, you 
when you love people and you're in ministry, you're going to hear people's stories, right? Mm. So when I graduated, I, I became a U.S. Army chaplain, and I was a chaplain for 30 years. And, wow. uh, you know, uh, when I went into the, uh, into the chaplaincy, it was uh, about 10 years after the end of Vietnam. And, you know, I, I started to hear some real, real unbelievable stories of pain and, and of suffering. And, you know, I, I just realized I needed more skills and more training. And sometimes those conversations dealt with suicide. And quite frankly, I, I, I'd read some articles you know, I had some PowerPoints. Well, back then it wasn't PowerPoints. It was transparencies, you know, and little handouts. There you go. But um, along the way, you know, on the job training is kind of what got me into this area. Yeah. Uh, you make a lot of mistakes when that happens, right? You put, you find yourself pushing your foot in your mouth. You, you, uh, you learn, okay, I'm never saying that or doing that right, again. So right. I am really grateful that you're bringing all of this wisdom of <laughs> learning the hard way, probably by the sounds of it and putting this into your work with living works, which, uh, I know the program well, because I, that's the the training that is gold standard in Canada. So it is broadly used across the healthcare system and education system here in Canada. And so Living Works is a phenomenal program that you, uh, you're you a part of. Would you be able to share a little bit more about Living Works for those who may not know you as well as I do? Sure, sure. Well, back to being a new chaplain, you know, without any kind of training, when you encounter training that really does what it's supposed to do. You get excited about it, you know? And so I was working at the, uh, at the Pentagon. I was at the chief of army chaplains and I was in charge of uh, training and policy development. You know, what do we train at that time? Our 1400 chaplains and our, our, our another 1400 chaplain assistants in suicide. So we had a lot of PowerPoint slides and, wonderful authors who gave tremendous lectures. But you know what? The information wasn't going to give us what we needed. And that's when, uh, this is the early 2000s, I was exposed and went to an ASSIST workshop. So ASSIST is the Living Works Program Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training. And as soon as I went through that, Laura, I said, this is what we need. So I brought it back to the chap chief of chaplains and said, hey, boss, we need to start teaching this, you know, in our chaplain officer basic course. And then we went around the chaplaincy and caught up all those chaplains and chaplain assistants. And really, since 2000, four chaplains, two Air Force and two Army, they introduced Living Works Assist and eventually other programs. We've trained almost a uh, 560,000 Department of Defense uh, soldiers, not just chaplains, but soldiers and leaders and, uh, and, and in all the services, Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps, and the Army. So we are an intervention training company, you know, so that's our hallmark program, Living Works Assist, and it's the standard for a crisis line worker in mm -hmm. English-speaking countries. And in Lithuania and the Norwegian countries and in any places where we've done a translation, it continues to be the highest evaluated program where they actually talked to people who were thinking of suicide and asked them, 
what did you like about what the care uh, the counselor did the uh, you know online worker or the call-in worker and they hands down preferred assist trained trainers and so I think now I think pastors will learn from a program like assist how to stop talking <laughs> and listen better and to know how what to listen for and then when a person says yes how to create a safety plan and really save a life so that's yeah. that's about living works and that's kind of a little more about my history <laughs> i love that uh 2007 6 2006 is when i took living mm-hmm, works mm-hmm. so um i don't know when it started but it sounds like back in those days um and it was for our i was in a mental health and addictions um community health center mm-hmm. uh, in my community and it was gold standard for us and it I can still remember some of the practical application activities and tools that we did mm-hmm. many 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 years ago so it is it is an engaging program and it is definitely one to remember that it, it sticks with you it hangs on and so I think it's very effective in that way I think it's great, Glenn, that you identified that churches are among the people who are able to provide first responder support to those who are struggling. Um, and because it is September, at least when this uh, this episode goes live, I want to talk to uh, you, or maybe you can talk to me actually, about some simple options about ch- for churches to help prevent suicide. This is a really can be a really challenging topic. People aren't sure how they feel about it. They're not quite sure what their belief or how their faith intersects with it. And and so might not see themselves as a role or uh, able to take part in Suicide Awareness Month. That is something that's happening for healthcare or the education system or someone else. But in fact, the church is is a great place to provide awareness training. Um, and, and so would you be able to talk about um, bringing suicide awareness and how the church can help in that in, in decreasing stigma? Sure. Well, you know, I, I'll say this. I believe the church is concerned. And uh, anybody who's looked at the news, we're concerned yeah. about youth mm-hmm. and we're concerned about middle-aged men. Uh, those are high numbers. And we're concerned about, you know, uh, our indigenous populations, uh, people of faith. But the busyness of ministry for a pastor, for a volunteer, especially in rural settings where the, the pastor is a solo pastor and sometimes a multi-point, it's just what's the priority? And so the church wants to help, but they don't know how. Sadly, yeah. it takes an attempt or a death before it gets people's attention. And that's sad to me because most people in the church and without don't understand the contributors to suicide. And in in many ways, our society still has deep stigma about suicide and even toward survivor families and friends. You know, Mm -hmm. so the church and the faith community has so much to offer in a society that's increasingly isolated, lonely, and disconnected. Now, here's an interesting fact for any of our listeners who are listening in from rural settings. The suicide rate, at least in America, 
is 2.5 to three times higher in rural areas. And that's mm, interesting. That has a lot to do with the independent culture. You know, uh, either you are on a farm, you're going to fix that million dollar piece of equipment. You're not going to take that in, you know, to the implement dealer. You're going to figure it out. It depends on you. And even if you're not a farmer, you are part of that culture, self-reliant, self-sufficient, independent, and you keep your problems to yourself. So where do people go? Well, if the church is talking about training, suicide, and mental health, that is unique. Because like CPR training or training in the Heimlich maneuver, we can normalize this kind of training. It's all the way we frame it. But frequently, as I said a moment ago, we wait until there's been an attempt or a death. And then we're scrambling around. So I, I guess the one thing I would say about the church is let's collaborate across denominations, across communities, and offer evidence-based training. Not just a PowerPoint, not just a few slides that somebody put together by looking on the website, but something that's proven to work. Mm. I like that. Offering training, and it doesn't have to be just for staff or just for the leaders. This kind of training is available and, and accessible, and it's not going over anyone's head. Everyone has the ability to do this. That's right, Laura. Uh, and, That's right. And, yeah. and let me just say, I, I love this term. Natural helpers need to be trained. Mm -hmm. So that could be a barber. That could be a hairstylist. <laughs> yeah. That could be a coach. That could be teachers, a youth leader, or a respected elder in the community who's going to step up and say, hey, I went to this training. And, you know, some of the things you're, you're saying and doing make me wonder, are you thinking about suicide? So yeah. it's natural helpers that need to be trained, not just mm -hmm. therapists and mental health practitioners or even the pastor, but people in the church that are connected to other people. Yeah. I often talk about building a culture of care rather than programs yes. of care. And I think this is a really great way to equip that or to mobilize that, that intention that we want to create a culture of care where your neighbors are able to help each other, that your fellow teammate in the cafe or on the greeter team or the parking team or ushers or whatever, they are able, they're empowered through this training or empowered through, you know, that mobilizing of, of information and, and being able to support one another so that people don't slip through the cracks. I like that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so definitely we want to equip the church because they're, uh, they're at the heart of so many communities. And, and, but I'm curious to know, like, how many people would you say come to the church? Because the church that I grew up in, it's the church where you wear your nice clothes to, you put your makeup on, you comb your hair, you shine your shoes or what have you. Uh, and so you come looking your best. And I would think that if a church where you want to go and connect and, and, and look your best and gather together, how frequent or how often does a person come to the church to seek support? Well, it all depends on the relationship with mm. the leadership. 
And, um, you know, I've, uh, in the 10 years that I've been working since I retired from the, from the military, I, I've seen all kinds. I mean, I've seen large mega churches where we don't do counseling. We just mm-hmm. refer everything. And then I've talked, as I said before, to just hardworking, wonderful, but obscure frequently pastors who know their people and who love their people and who've had these kind of hard conversations, but they don't know what to do. So again, mm. you're, how many you're going to see depends on how real you are. Do you go out and help at harvest if you're a rural pastor? Do you sit at the table and drink coffee and eat lunch and get real with your people? Or is it kind of like, hey, people come here on Sunday, check the block. I work, you know, X amount of hours on my homily, my sermon. So that that question to say how many, it all depends. We had a pastor. Now, I'm in a large metro inner city church. We have a thousand members. But I we had a pastor once talk about having a panic attack in a sermon. And he said, Glenn, I had, I had 15 people come to me and say, wow, Pastor, I, I would have never thought that you'd have a panic attack. And <laughs> I've had a lot of panic attacks myself. I've struggled with them for a long time. And so, again, if we're more transparent and we talk about the, um, the fact that suicide is part of the human condition. And when we're isolated, when we keep it a secret, it gathers power. But uh, if we can talk about it, it removes the power and connects us. And we have an epidemic of loneliness and isolation in our country. And so it's, it's really important that we are trained and have the courage to say, I noticed this, or you said that, or this has happened in your life. I'm wondering, has this caused you to have thoughts of suicide? And to know what to do if they say yes. Yeah. You said something right there that I want to pause on. Um, you said that is the human condition. I Can we can you expand on that sure. a little bit? Because a lot of people have said, um, oh, this is, you know, a, an unpardonable sin. It is, you know, um, something that is maybe a demonic or oppression. And, and you just said it was a human condition. And I would love to hear more about that um, because I think everyone's ears just went like, oh, I've never thought of it that way. Tell me more. Well, we speak about that in our Living Works programs. And one of our founders, Richard Ramsey, good Canadian from Alberta, (laughs) uh, (laughs) they actually founded the company, uh, a bunch of really smart Alberta folks. You know, he's really, he's sociologist, social worker, And, um, you know, not everything is mental illness. We know that mental illness conditions frequently manifest in the age of the 20s. But in my experience, I've seen a variety of things that could contribute to thoughts of suicide. So, you know, among these are, you know, a a natural disaster. You lose everything. I'm, I'm thinking about the people in Maui right now. You know, the relatives that weren't there and the relatives can't be found. Um, also, it's it's connected to trauma and loss. I, I In the military, I, I heard of many suicides of 
uh, those who had graduated from military academies, our Navy, our Army, West Point, and they've always been at the top of their game, valedictorian high school, quarterback, you know, all those things. But then they have a failure, a fall from grace for the first time as a young officer, and they take their life. So it's some kind of loss, some kind of um, pain, people who are struggling with mental health issues, depression, isolation, all of those those scripts that we're telling ourselves, if we're not talking about them with others, then we begin to see an escape from pain is what I want. And so we get that tunnel vision where it begins to make sense. So I don't belong. So a researcher, Thomas Joyner, has said there's really two common things besides mental illness. A failure to belong, I don't belong, and I'm a burden. I'm a burden maybe Mm -hmm. to the world. And then so the more these overlap and you begin to think about them, the more they make sense. And I think Joyner is on to something. So that's why we say it's part of the human condition. And pastors and ministry leaders and people of faith often hear stories when people are at that intersection and they wave off with depression. Uh, The Bible, that's not for me. Or church, I know you can say all these things, but if you really knew who I was, you you wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. So that's that script that's going in one's mind. And uh, that's why we've just got to ask the right questions and be present. I think every single person can identify with this feeling of struggling with who they are and being a burden. And I love that you took the concept or the, the, uh, the, the action of suicide, took it away from being, um, demonized. And I, and I don't, you know, mean that in a broader context and saying that we all have experienced loss. We've all struggled with who we are and do we fit? We've all struggled with this. We don't want to be a burden. And it is by the grace of God that we haven't gone, you know, down into that slippery slope where it led us to suicide. And, and, but I do think that there's people listening that has said, I have thought about suicide and I've never told anyone and it was a hidden thing because I thought it was a sin or a, a slight against them and God. And this, I hope this conversation about how it's part of the human condition uh, frees them from that shame or from that guilt, because that doesn't mean you're a bad person or a sinner or have mental illness or have any defining qualities. It means that you're human and, and that you've struggled. And I, and I just really appreciate that. Well said, Laura, you know, biblically, I love where Paul in second Corinthians one, eight says, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers. Of, of, of the crushing experience we had in Macedonia. We felt that we had received, you know, um, a, a, a burden that caused us to despair of life itself. And then he goes on to say, that was to make us not rely on ourselves, but on you, you know, who through answer of, through many prayers, God has delivered us in the past. 
He will deliver us in the future, and on him we have set our hope. So if we read, now was Paul suicidal? No, but he probably wished he were dead in making that statement. You know, and he's being transparent Mm -hmm. with the Corinthians when he talks about that in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 8. And that he starts 2 Corinthians 1s with this wonderful talk about the God of all comfort. But how did he know about that comfort? By despairing of life, being in community, having the grace of God flow into his life and to be delivered from that crushing burden. Mm. I love that section. I just had to yeah, get it I'm into so the podcast. Yeah, I'm so glad you did. I'm so glad you did. It's good. It's good because, um, and and when we talk about how can your church provide, um, participate in Suicide Awareness Month, this these are the conversations that provide freedom and healing for for so many people in your community and within your congregation by talking about these things, by, by saying the word suicide from the stage, by offering training, by taking shame away, you are bringing awareness to the human condition of suicide. And, 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 and there's also potential or, you know, opportunity for people to have to become prevent preventative go into the prevention side of suicide and and with the training and stuff right and I can remember when I first started as a social worker on the crisis line in the crisis team and (laughs) and the social work uh, I was so so worried that I would say something wrong that I would trigger someone or I would miss a sign and and I would be the cause of someone taking their life and I'm I'm sure that I wasn't the only one nor have I you know, continue to be like, I'm sure there's many other people who have thought this. And would you be able to address that question? Is it possible to cause someone to, to choose suicide, um, through lack of awareness or maybe even saying something wrong to them? Well, I think if you are exhibiting care, that is a preventive place to be a preventive stance You know, if I think about the church and I think of people in the church causing, one of the things, it's been a protective factor, but the church, there's still pockets of people that feel that if you take your life, you are taking the place of God and you go immediately to hell. That doctrine has been overturned by the mother church. We all came from the one church, the Catholic church. And, you know, they believed and taught that if you couldn't have the, the last rites, the sacrament of the sick, then, and, and took your life, you know, that that would happen. And in the Middle Ages, when this doctrine came, um, people wanted to be with Jesus, <laughs> you know, and life was hard. And so they were taking their lives. And that was continued, it began by Augustine, continued by Thomas Aquinas, became part of canon law. But that went away in 1963 with uh, Vatican II. But there still is kind of this informal belief. You know, I've heard people in solid 
solid churches saying, I'm so sorry that your loved one is in hell. What kind of thing is that? And to say after, after a death. So to me, I think that, yes, there are people that can cause others to think about suicide. All we have to do is look at the media and watch young people saying, oh, go do it, go do it. And they look back on social media to a very, very uh, fragile young person who acted on that, you know. But mm -hmm. in the church, if we don't know what to do, but we stay with people, listen yeah. to their story and call 988 in the U.S., or I, I'm not sure what the number is in Canada, or around the world, but call a crisis line for someone trained. You are not going to cause someone to take their life, okay? And um, But if you're trained and had the confidence, you'll step in to a scary thing. Well, what if they die anyway? Or what if, you know, I get them to help and then they choose to act on those thoughts? You've done what you could do, and uh, but without training, without even talking about it, we reinforce the stigma and force people underground. So that's why training is the first step. And then, you know, I think hearing people's story of going through the dark night of the soul and then coming out is an encouragement that we can save a life. So... Hmm. I love that. You're, you're not, you're, you're telling people, you're giving permission to people, even if you don't know what to do, if you come with compassion and you come with empathy and you're willing to sit with people and listen and care and then, ref and, and direct them to further supports, like you said, 988 in the U S and we'll put the, put the crisis lines in the show notes. Don't worry. And, and yeah, we'll do that for sure. Um, that you are not going to cause someone, you're not provoking someone right. to suicide. But let me just had this little caveat. I think when I was a young chaplain, just out of seminary, I would want to try to talk people out of it, convince okay. people and show them the promises of God's word. And I was doing more talking than they were talking. Let me tell you what, <laughs> that is not helpful because they're not going to hear all your good theology and all your good scriptural references. They're just not. No. They're, they're so much wanting somebody to adapt to their pace and listen yes. to them. And you have to be quiet and you have to, wow, that's hard. Paraphrase anything they said just to support more to come out. So yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to get that in there because I know. I think that's good. Yeah, that, that's just such a tendency when we're younger and, you know, in college or in seminary or just out. We, we think yeah. And the expectation to talk to a ministry leader is you have all this knowledge of the scripture <laughs> and of, of the ways of, yeah. of God. You're a fixer. Right. And yeah, yeah, especially if you're a man. I think. Yeah, uh, got to be a fixer. Again, stereotypically, women are more <laughs> prone to listen when they're younger and they teach a lot of young men how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry if yeah. I'm stereotyping it's, anybody. No, but, uh, <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Um, I, I love that you said adapt to their pace, because if you just look at how our bodies respond to stress, mm -hmm. when hearing that someone is considering taking their life, that can invoke the stress response in ourselves as helpers, cause us to talk fast, want to pace, fidget, solve a problem, 
problem, fight or flight, right? We do, we, we instinctually can have all of these stress responses, but you have to fight that and, and adapt to their pace, which is, I think, a brilliant way of looking at slowing down and listening and being present with that person in that moment. I think that is truly, truly helpful. Absolutely. Yes. And I think this is what, you know, this is not intended to be a commercial about Living Works. Although we want to provide people with takeaway action and tools and strategies that they can use, but point to where the next steps are. And I think this is what Living Works, especially the faith um, program that you have, because it differs from other prevention trainings and, and that you just don't offer signs, although it is included, you don't offer, uh, it's not only about how to recognize signs and appropriately respond and refer, but you also look at the church context and, and the roles and the function of the church and that there's community that walks with people as they journey through life. And you equip leaders with these type of skills to walk with people. Um, and, and I think that uh, the one of the hardest things for people is to journey with those who are grieving after a suicide has happened. Would you be able to share um, any support on, or maybe like things not to say, or how to support or how to walk with people uh, who are, are grieving because of a suicide loss in their family? Right. Well, our our Living Works Faith program really covers all three dimensions of suicide prevention. Things you can do to help people, you know, to seek help, prevention, like praying for people who are struggling with mental health or suicide. Intervention, know what to do if you think thoughts are present, how to ask, and what to do if they say yes. What we're talking about now, Laura, is postvention. And uh, we at Living Works have typically focused on intervention, but our Living Works Faith program for people of faith, for Christian people of faith, really kind of is comprehensive. And one of the things that a lot of clergy are going to be involved with is a funeral and a memorial. And often in a smaller town, you're going to know those people and you have a wonderful mm-hmm. opportunity to come alongside even if they are not affiliated with your ministry or your church. And so I I think it's very important to understand the unique nature of suicide bereavement. Um, It's like a sudden death, like an accident, but in many ways it can be far more traumatic and far more complex. So there's shock, there's trauma, especially, Especially if you are the one that discovers the loved yes. one or friend who has died by suicide, that's a real combination. Uh, there can be rage and anger even in the midst of your grief. Say you're a spouse and you've been left with all the responsibilities of child raising and no more funds. So you're grieving your loved one, but then you're angry. How could you do this to me? There's guilt, there's shame, there's internal stigma. People are looking at me differently and I failed. So I can't even go out because I'm so ashamed. But maybe I'm projecting a lot of this on people. So suicide grief, the guilt, the shame, the the stigma, 
And even when I see people looking at me, they know who I am. They know that my loved one died by suicide. So for a pastor, for a ministry leader, for people of faith to understand, we need to treat the grief the same as any other loss. And But when we don't know what to say, we don't, we tend to avoid, or we say silly things. So again, sometimes instead of saying, how are you doing? We'll come and ask, what would support feel like right now? How can I support you Ooh. in a way that feels like support? And you know That's what? Good. That just opens up a door if you want to help. Don't say silly things to fill up space. space. Ask a question. How can I support you now? I would imagine it's very hard right now. What does support feel like to you? So it might be practical things. It might be just sit down here for a minute. I just need somebody to be here. It could be a myriad of practical things. But if the church is filled with stigma about suicide or the ministry, then the people are going to lack direction. And so that's where, again, leadership is needed to get rid of the stigma and to respond well. So in Living Works Faith, we talk about all aspects. You know, we have a module where you get a, a simulated phone call. You have to go into a room and interact with six different people in the immediate aftermath. We have tips on how to do a memorial service in a way that doesn't add to stigma, but also pro pro protects people in the room who may be fragile themselves, okay? So a lot of this you need to read, you need to have training in, because if we make, we want to celebrate the life of the deceased, but not turn him or her into a saint with a planting of a tree or a plaque, because some other young person might want the same thing. We have to encourage help-seeking in the memorial or the funeral, you know, without shaming the family, but to encourage others. So that's called prevention in postvention. But then <laughs> we need to follow up, yeah. just like we would with any other kind of loss, but understanding the complexity of that loss. And so there's a lot of more details that I can go through, but I think just listening, uh, cards, you know, reaching out, texts, and just showing up and just yes. don't have any solutions, don't have any yeah. fixes. Just say, I want to be here. I want to be present. Here's some food, just like any other, you know, grief. And yes. let me pray with you and do not stigmatize the prayer, but just pray for comfort pray for strength, pray for wisdom. Also, don't start answering the question, why, too soon. You know, people are going to want theological discussions right away. And I think yes. for, for a ministry leader, maybe we'll get to that down the road. Right now is not a time. I, I can talk to you all day long, but you might not remember any of this, okay? We'll talk about this later but not now, because that is one of the huge differences also in suicide. Why did God? Why did yes. this? Why did that? And the bottom line is, it's a mystery. 
It's a part of being human. It's part of our fallen nature. But we don't want to say that right away. You know, <laughs> we want to give time and uh, and have the right space to do that. We also want to talk to kids in an appropriate way. And we that's covered in this training. You know, <laughs> we've got time. But, uh, uh, okay, well, let's direct people to where they can learn more about living works, faith, um, because I think you've uncovered a lot of questions that if if someone has been in that experience where there has been a loss in their church or their community, these are all questions that they've asked or, or, or struggles that they have faced. How do I handle, how yes. do I manage this? Yes. And, and so they're like, Oh, they w- they're going to be knocking at your door for this training. But I think you're, you're uncovering questions that people are like, I never even thought that would be something that I would have to be aware of. And so we definitely want to link to Living Works where people can um, sign up or people can check it out to see what's available. Sure. Where can they get more information? Well, uh, just go to the Living Works, uh, www.livingworks.net. And then uh, where it says uh, find trainings, you know, you can click on a pull down menu that says our trainings and then uh, just click on Living Works Faith. There's a little video there um, and uh, it's a very comprehensive, completely online training. Uh, you can do self-paced. Uh, it, it's very ideal for a pastor, a deacon, anyone who's involved in direct ministry. And we've tried to have it be multidenominational. You know, it's uh, it. We have uh, a variety of different types of ministers and people. It's video based, and I should say, it's also competency based. It's based on what clergy need to know, based on qualitative research, interviews, you know, with clergy. So again, we didn't just grab a bunch of stuff and put it all together. We've been very thoughtful about it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Living Works Faith. Um, and then, you know, there's a couple of wonderful books I'd really like to leave as resources as well. Melinda Moore and Rabbi Dan Roberts are two very good friends. We've trained together. I've known them for years. They have a book called The Suicide Funeral or Memorial Service. Lots of examples of funerals and memorials, sometimes in the midst of uh, the aftermath of a suicide death, just having some ideas to pull from. And then um, also there's a uh, book by Dr. Karen Mason and her colleague, Dr. Scott, um, Scott, uh, Scott Gibson, and it's called Preaching Hope in Darkness. And uh, Karen has a lot of practical tips in here about suicide, but then they have a number uh, of, um, of sample liturgies and sermons uh, as far as care in the aftermath. And I should say, Dr. Mason is a very good friend, and she's written a couple of books, a new one on essentials of suicide prevention. And um, she wrote a book in 2014, called um, Suicide Prevention, a Handbook for Pastors, uh, Chaplains, and Pastoral Counselors. So I'd recommend any of those three books. Very, very well done. Uh, Very thoughtful. Amazing. Thank you so much, Glenn. I am so excited that you were able to join uh, the, the podcast again. I am grateful for your ministry and willingness to 
just dive right in and talk about all of the messy stuff or the things that people often try to avoid. Um, so if you're wanting to check out Living Works, make sure you scroll down and click uh, the link in the show notes. I'm going to have a direct link available for people who are looking for Living Works Faith, Thank as you. well as links to those books that will be there and available and accessible for you. Um, this has been such an incredibly valuable episode, definitely one that you're going to want to share. So before you listeners are moving on to your next task in the day, just look at your phone or the device that you're listening on, go to the share button and pass this episode on to someone who, who needs this, who needs encouragement, who, who is a leader in their community, because this is definitely something that you're going to want to share about. So thank you so much uh, for connecting and thank you, Glenn, for joining us today. Thank you, Laura. It was a pleasure. And I hope we don't wait three years before the next time <laughs> or two or three I years. Agree. Yeah. Thanks yes, again. I agree. A real privilege. Take care. Mm-hmm.